The following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the Word of God without apology. For more information about our church, visit our website at harvestberry.ca or email us at info at harvestberry.ca. We trust that this message will challenge and transform you. Well, good morning, church. Good to see you. And uh, we're going to be in Genesis 32 today. Um, if I... If I um... If I asked you to tell me a little bit about yourself, or, or if anybody asked you that question, or you were in some, some situation where you were kind of new to the situation, and that question would come up, tell me a little bit of, about yourself. What kinds of things do you think you would hear yourself saying? And, and I get that to some extent that might depend on the context, but I would expect answers that would reflect um, age, again, depending on uh, who you are. Uh, gender, um, although that should be obvious, uh, job, uh, student, um, uh, whether you're, you have a job or you're a student, uh, whether you're married or single, whether you have uh, children or not. Um, if someone asks me, again, depending on the situation, I might say, uh, you know, I'm a, a 51-year-old uh, husband and uh, father, I'm 51, right? Yeah, a fi- uh, f- 51. Cheryl knows that because she's 53. <laughs> I love you. (laughs) Not gonna help, he says. Okay, back to this. Uh, You know, I'm a 51-year-old husband and father. I I could say I'm a pastor, tell tell people what I do. if, if I'm not here and I'm in a context of people from other countries, I might say I'm Canadian. I might say that I was born in Montreal. I might say I went to school in London. I might say I lived in St. Thomas for uh, uh, 20-some years. I, I, might, I might say any of those things to describe who I am. And the answers uh, that we give really reflect how we tend to perceive ourselves and the way that we perceive ourselves really dictates our actions. It really dictates the course of our life. And so knowing who we are is pretty critical, especially when we go through times of crisis and trial, when things get hard, knowing who we are is so important. Having a right self-perception. And in today's passage, we're gonna meet a man named Jacob who has an actual physical wrestling match with a man, the text calls him a man, who we later find out, a bit of a spoiler here, we find out is actually the Lord. And that struggle was all about who Jacob saw himself to be and what he really needed to become. Because he was facing a pretty major crisis in his own life and was brought face to face with God in the midst of it. By the end of the encounter, God had changed his name, changed his identity, and changed the entire course of his life and all who would come after him. And the reality is some of you need to have the same wrestling match that Jacob had with God. Some of you need to have that wrestling match today. He's very interested in you knowing who you are and how that changes everything about your life because when you know who you are, You can handle anything that comes your way. So let's um, read the text, Genesis 32, 22 to 32, and uh, then I'll pray for us and we'll start uh, working through this. Genesis 32, 22. The same night he 
arose, this is Jacob, and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children and crossed the fort of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. And therefore to this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the, of the thigh. All right, let's pray together. Uh, Father, lift... Um, any confusion and misunderstanding that any of us would have today about who we really are. Father, give us an assurance of our identity in you and save those who are still in their sin and following their own way. God, open our hearts and our minds to hear your word now. We would pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, when you know who you are, you can handle anything that comes uh, your way. Uh, do you believe that? Do you believe that? All right, well, hopefully I can convince you of it, uh, those of you who are unsure uh, about that. Let's start here. Uh, it's going to start with getting one-on-one -on -one with God. Uh, Jacob was on his way uh, to Canaan to settle there with his family, and he was anticipating a reunion, uh, setting up a little bit of the historical context, and we can't go in great detail into any of it, but he's anticipating, as he goes back to Canaan, a reunion with his estranged brother, Esau, whom he had defrauded, through manipulation and deceit many years before. He's pretty fearful of him, in fact, and this is the crisis that Jacob's going to go through. And in the first few verses there that we read, he's uh, got his caravan, his entourage of his family and his servants with him, and he sends them on ahead across the river, and he remains there by the river. The text tells us that he remains, uh, really inexplicably, he remains alone. And I, I say inexplicably because there's no rationale for it in the passage. It doesn't tell us why Jacob did this, why he sent his family ahead. Uh, we could uh, surmise from the passage that he does this because he was facing a huge crisis and he had some notion that maybe getting alone and spending some time praying to God and seeking his favor might be the very thing he needed to save him from this situation that he was going into. Here's what we need to see in this very simply. Some things have to be worked out one-on-one -on -one with God. I love the group. I love our small groups. I love the larger gatherings of the church. I love it when we're together. It's all affirmed and esteemed in the scripture. This is a good thing that we're doing together. It's bet we're better together. It's great when we're doing life together. All of that is true. But there are certain things about our walk with Jesus Christ, our relationship with him, that have to be worked out one-on-one -on -one with God. You have to believe this for yourself. It's not a group effort. It's not, 
It's not something that you can just jump on, ride someone else's coattails to this. When it comes to faith in Jesus Christ, the reason why we say that it is a personal faith in Christ or a personal relationship that we have with Christ is because you, as a person, must work it out one-on-one with the Lord. That's what Jacob's doing here. And if you're facing a crisis yourself, I gotta say, there's no substitute for you praying about it. Get your friends to pray, get your small group to pray. Get the pastors to pray for you. Get our prayer team praying for you. Sure, do all of that, but there's no substitute for you praying about it. Hear the teaching of God's word. Get under this instruction. Hear what I have to say to you. But listen, there's there's no substitute for you getting into the word of God and hearing what God is saying to you. No substitute for you seeking the Lord to hear what he has to say about the crisis and about you and about how he can help you. Get one-on-one with God. And when you do get along with him, notice this second, wrestle it out with him. Just got to wrestle it out with him. That's the scene in verse 24. Now the latter part there, a man, a man wrestled with him, notice, until the breaking of the day. I don't know how creepy that would be. You're alone, it's night. And a guy comes up to you and and let's wrestle. (laughs) Does that seem odd to anybody else here? That seems odd. It seems odd to me, but this is what happened. Now, of course, I've given something uh, pretty important away uh, away here already that the man is actually uh, God, but that's jumping ahead in the story. And Jacob at this point doesn't necessarily know that it's the Lord. But he is wrestling with God. And I want you to see this. We'll come back to these verses in a moment. But verse uh, 28, uh, notice that it says in verse 28, uh, you have striven with God. That's what the man says to him. Jacob, you've striven with God. You've been, you've been wrestling, struggling with God all this time. And then uh, down to verse 30 where Jacob says, I have seen, at the end of the whole encounter, he says, I have seen God face to face. Jacob knows at that point, that's who he's been wrestling with. There's also a pretty helpful notation on this narrative in Hosea 12, uh, 3 and 4. The prophet is preaching, and in his sermon, he says this, in the womb, he took his brother by the heels, talking about Jacob here. In fact, Jacob's name means heel grabber or deceiver or conniver or manipulator. That's his name, because that's the kind of guy he was. That's what his whole life was about. That's his identity, right? And Hosea calls it out. In the womb, he took his brother by the heel. And in his manhood, notice, he strove with who? He strove with God. The wrestling match was with God. He strove with the angel. That is a reference to the angel of the Lord or the Lord himself. And prevailed, he wept and sought his favor. Now, this man is the Lord. This is Yahweh. This is what uh, theologians call, in fact, do you like fancy theological words? you like to write those down in your notes? All right, this is what's called a theophany or a Christophany, uh, pretty much one in the same. So this is a, an appearance of Jesus Christ, a pre-incarnate, so before he came as an infant to this earth, a pre-incarnate physical appearance of Jesus Christ. That's what a Christophany is or a theophany. And we know, of course, that Jesus is both God and man. And on the timeline of history, you want to talk about timelines again and God being outside of time and how that just blows our minds? 
I want to talk about that again for a second. Jesus had not yet been born, but that's only limiting if we believe time to be linear. And as human beings, of course, that's the way we see time. We see it linear in terms of a line. We know that there's a past that was a yesterday and all the days before it. We know there's a present that's this moment right here. We know there's a future that's tomorrow and, and all of the days ahead, however many there might be. We see it in terms of a line, but God doesn't see history in terms of a line. He sees it in terms of a whole. And there is no time and he's outside of time he knows it as a whole, and he knows all of history as being completed already. That's why when you read the book of Revelation, it's written as if it's already happened, because it has. Do this with me. Right? Correct. And so Jesus had not yet been born, but that's, that's only hard for us to understand because of where we sit on the timeline, and Jesus exists even in his divine human form, okay? He exists outside of time, and therefore he can drop into our history at any time he wants because it's whole and it's, it's complete, and that's, that's what's happening here. If you want to get right down to it, who's Jacob wrestling with? He's wrestling with, he's wrestling with Jesus. He's, dress, he's wrestling with Jesus. Okay, now it's really cool, correct? He's wrestling with Jesus. And so, so this is God. And, um, but there's something weird about the match, okay? So if you understand that he's wrestling with God slash Jesus, verse 25, when the man, God or Jesus, saw that he did not prevail against Jacob. Wait, what? What did that say? Is, does your Bible say something very similar to that? That, he, that, okay, Jesus is wrestling a man, Jacob, and he's not winning. He's not winning. How is that even a thing? How could God be losing a wrestling match with a human being? Well, what we have here is nothing other than the first time, but not the last time, that a sporting match would be rigged. Uh, the, the fix was in. Uh, the bookies weren't happy because everybody had placed bets on Jacob just going out right away. But he, but he made the spread. He lasted a certain number of rounds with the Lord. He, he wrestled with him all night. He went far longer than anybody thought he would go in the match. But by the end, there was no doubt who the champ was. When in verse 25, again, the latter part, notice, he, that is God, Jesus, touched his hip socket. Just, just, just touched it. Just, oh. Out. Just, just touched it. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. I hope it's not sacrilegious to say at all that, that God hustled Jacob. He made him think he was winning the match, but he wasn't. With one touch of his hip socket, God let Jacob know who he was wrestling with. He let him know his, his power for sure, but he also let him know his love because you have a very good understanding here that God could have done a lot more than just touch his hip socket and put it out of joint. And in case there's any confusion here, in case you're in a wrestling match with God right now, just write this down. God wins every match. He does. God is the undisputed undefeated, 
super heavyweight champion of the universe. That's our God. And when you get into the ring with him, don't forget that. I mean, Jacob is facing this real life crisis in his life. And in the midst of this match, he gets more than an inkling that God could actually help him with it. That's why he goes to prayer in the first place. Jacob seems to have understood that you cannot have a right view of yourself and your situation unless you see yourself in the light of who God is. A proper self-perception begins with a proper divine perception. When I lock down my theology and I grasp who God really is, then I simultaneously set my own identity and I change my perspective on every circumstance that I might go through. See, if I know that I'm a child of the king, if I know how powerful he is to overcome any situation, and if I know how much he loves me as one of his children, then I'm good. I'm gonna know that he has my best interest at heart, even if the crisis in front of me is crushing. Because I know he loves me. Beyond any of the circumstances of life, I know beyond all of it that a day is coming when he's gonna restore all things and to make everything right. And all of that flows from understanding who God is and who I am in light of who he is. That, in essence, is the wrestling match we go through when we face every single trial. Will I believe God and his promises or not? Wrestle it out with him. And then check this out. Hold on to him until he blesses you. Just hold on to him until he blesses you. So after the injury to his hip, Jacob gets um, who this really is and he determines, well, this is it. Like my hip's out, but my arms are working fine. Now I'm gonna hold on to him and I'm not gonna let go until he blesses me, uh, until all things are settled. Because he knows that God is his only hope for resolving the crisis that's in front of him, which is the the upcoming confrontation with his brother. I mean, he's just experienced God's power in a pretty significant way. He's experienced also his grace and his mercy and his love in this very, in this very moment. And he wants in this moment everything that God could possibly give him. God, I want it all. Whatever you have, I want that. And that just kind of makes sense, doesn't it? That we would just tenaciously hang on to God and not let go until he blesses us, knowing what we know about our God, that he has so much to pour out and to give to us. Why would we not hang on to him until he gave us everything that he has for us? Don't you want everything that God has for you? Do you want it all? Are you settling for something less? Are you willing to let go of him before he pours out the fullness of everything that he has for you? Why would anyone do this? Verse 26, then he, that is the man, God, said, 
Let me go. For the day is broken. God's saying to Jacob again, it seems like a ridiculous situation in light of the power that God has. Why can't he just break free of him? And of course he can, but he's testing Jacob to see just how tenacious and persevering he's really going to be. Will he hang on? I mean, no one doubts that if God wanted to, he could break the hold. But Jacob says to him, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And that's what God's looking for from us, a determined faith in him. That's pretty much it. Because we can't earn our salvation. There's nothing we can do to earn his favor. It comes by grace. The only thing he really asks of of us is that we would just exercise even the smallest amount of faith in him. That's what Jacob is doing. In this series where where we're making ready and preparing for whatever God has for us this year, we started last week with with an unwavering faith and that's what Jacob is showing here, this unwavering faith. I'm gonna hold on. I believe you have what I need. I'm not letting you go until you bless me. Now we're not exactly sure what specific blessing Jacob is after at this point. His main crisis is of course meeting Esau. But you get a sense that that that's that's just the tipping point. There's a lot more behind that. That Jacob now having experience the power of God and his love for him, that he suspects that there's more to this than just solving the Esau problem. That it's gonna go far deeper than that for him. There's much more at stake than just the encounter that's coming. And and when you're in the midst of a crisis and you finally come to grips with who you are in light of who God is, you understand that trusting Christ as Savior And Lord means something more than solving the immediate crisis. I've told bits and pieces of my own story over the years. And and, um, my mom and dad are here. And we had moved from uh, Quebec to Ontario uh, back in the... uh, uh, late 70s, uh, 77 is when we moved, and um, I was a good Quebec boy. I hated absolutely everything about Ontario, everything. Um, some 30 uh, years later, I'm beginning to come to grips with that, uh, that I still live here in exile in Ontario as a good Quebec boy. But it was actually, I, I joke about it now, but it was actually a pretty stressful time. I was 13 years old, and, and there's enough changes going on in a 13-year-old's life that uh, moving to a new town can be pretty difficult and moving to a new province even more so. And uh, we were facing some pretty difficult financial challenges as a family. And, um, and there was just a lot going on that was kind of crisis after crisis after crisis. I collapsed at school one day. I was suffering from nervous tension, anxiety at age of 13. So that was the immediate crisis. That was just the thing that was happening in the moment. I tell my story, but there's, there's, there's like a, a two, three hundred of those stories in the room right now. And, and certainly my pleading with God as I was beginning to hear what the gospel was all about, my pleading with God was to some extent, it was about that immediate crisis of, of just solving the issue of my anxiety and not wanting to be here and the crisis of all my friends and family being back in Quebec. That was the immediate crisis, but God was was setting the course of my life by changing my identity and bringing me to faith in Christ at age 15. God was wanting to solve more than the, just that immediate little, that's just a little thing. That was, my, that was my encounter with Esau. 
that God wanted to actually change my identity and change the entire course of my life so that I would live entirely for him. That's what what God's after. That's what's happening here with Jacob. There's every indication, by the way, that this is Jacob's conversion. For sure, he's had a lot of interaction with God before this, and this this happens with people here all the time. Jacob, we could even say that Jacob was raised in a believing home for sure, Isaac and Rebekah, and his grandfather, uh, Abraham, his grandmother, Sarah. I mean, there was a a legacy of believing that was already being passed on, and he was uh, three generations down from that. There was things that he knew about Yahweh that a lot of other people didn't know. He was raised in the context of people who worshiped the one true God. That was his home upbringing. It was his tradition. It was his religious background. He had even had, he had, even had his own personal times uh, with God, talking with him about things and working things out and trying to think about all of that. But listen, he had not yet gotten to the point where he had pledged his life to actually be a true follower of Yahweh. This is his moment. Now that's the story of a lot of people right here that you have some kind of religious background. You've thought a lot about God. You might have been even a quote-unquote worshiper in some other context. But you haven't actually come to the point where you've personally given your life to Jesus Christ. Where the Christ has actually driven you to consider a change of identity from whatever you have now to that of Christ follower, son or daughter of the king, however you want to say it. Don't miss in this whole wrestling match, and I want you to understand this, that if you're not a follower of Christ and you may be feeling something right now like, Like, maybe I need to do that. I I want you to understand that in this entire story, I want you to understand who the aggressor is. I want you to understand who's actually provoking all of this. Because Jacob didn't seek the wrestling match. He's just looking for a solution to his problem. That the aggressor in this entire text, the one who, you put it this way, the one who picks the fight is who? It's God. It's Jesus. It's the man. He just shows up by the river and Jacob's alone and God's picking the fight. And please understand that if you're not a follower of Christ or you're lapsed in that in some manner or you've forgotten who you are in Christ and you're in the midst of a crisis and it's not going well for you or you're still paralyzed by your past or whatever else it is, that God fully intends and would love to pick a fight with you this morning and wrestle this all out. He doesn't want to leave you in the place where you are. He had to knock some things out of Jacob. He had to knock out this self-reliance that he had, this self-centeredness that, is, that he had, this tendency toward manipulation and deceit. He wanted all of that gone. It might be as simple as that for you today. That there's a crisis in your life and you're not sure how it's going to go. And you've had the conversations with God. You believe that you've come to a place of having a relationship 
with him. But then it might just seem that God's using this current crisis to actually bring you back to him or to him in the first place. And so I would just say, take advantage of that. Take advantage of the fact that he's wrestling with you. You know he's more powerful than you. You know he's going to win the fight. So just hold on to him. Hold tenaciously to him. Don't let go of him. No matter what's going on or how discouraged you might be, don't let go of him. And ask him to bless you. Now the nature of the blessing God gave Jacob and offers to us is to find our new identity in him alone. This is where we really get to it. Because when you know who you are, you can handle anything that comes your way. So in 27 through 30, this, this passage becomes all about identity. He's having this wrestling match with him over identity. Who really is Jacob? It was defined, in fact, by the conflict with his brother. When you read the text and everything that goes on in Jacob's life, every decision he makes seems to be informed by the fact that he has this conflict with his brother that was the result of Jacob's own deceit. Every decision he made was rooted in how his brother perceived him. Jacob had stolen Esau's birthright. He had stolen the blessing that their father intended for him. So we could boil it down for Jacob this way. His identity was in his past decisions resulting in broken relationships in the present. Jacob's biography could be titled, What a Mess. How I Ruined Every Relationship I Ever Had by Jacob. So let's hang out here for a minute. What about you? What's your identity in? 16 examples of misplaced identity. Ready for these? You say, no, could we move on to the next section, please? I'd rather not hear this. I repent, honestly, can we close in prayer? Now let's do this. Uh, 16 examples of misplaced identity of my past. Obviously that one's uh, pretty big here this morning because it's in the text and whatever's in your past, I need to tell you that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, it's done, it's forgiven, the shame is gone, the guilt is unnecessary. If it's in your past, it's in your past. If you're a follower of Christ, the blood of Christ has cleansed you from that. And you need not be burdened by it any longer. And if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ and you haven't found the forgiveness that comes from him, then, then do that now and put your past behind you. You are not your past. Uh, your job, you're not your job. I, I still, I've told you this before, but I really resist asking, especially men, I resist asking men what they do for a living when I'm meeting them usually for the first, second, or even third time. Not that I'm not interested in what you do, but men have a problem in that so often their identity is tied to what they do. 
You are not your job. And, and by the way, you're not your lack of a job. You're not your retirement plans. Freedom 55's a myth. Be free now. Don't spend your whole life working towards something that may never happen. It's foolishness that we would be rooting our identity in our retirement plans or, our, or any goals really that we have or our leisure and hobbies. I'm a woodworker. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a hockey player. I'm a hunter. I'm a fisherman. Ridiculous. Fishing is ridiculous. <laughs> I don't get it. Ice fishing is beyond ridiculous. <laughs> Education. Ethnicity. Wealth or lack thereof. You are not your marital status. You're not first, you know, I'm, I'm married or I, I'm, I'm single or I'm single again or it seems the one that carries the most shame is I'm divorced. You're not that. Your parenting status. Whether you have kids or don't have kids, you're not that. Your relationships with others, your friend group, your achievements, your religious affiliation, upbringing, or tradition. You're not that. Your disability or your infirmity or your illness, that is not your identity. Your body image. Did I hit yours? If I missed yours, you're probably thinking about it right now. And that's what you need to wrestle with God over. I hope you already see where this is going. An identity based on any of these things is a misplaced identity. It serves you poorly in times of crisis and trial. You're not any of these things. God offers you something so much better, an identity that's tied to his son, Jesus Christ. And the thing that's great about having your identity tied to him is that he actually, the basis for any wrestling match we would have is, is the wrestling match that he had with the father. I mean, you know all of this. He took on human form and he came to this earth and dwelt among us so that he could experience all that we experience. On the night that he was betrayed, he was in the garden of Gethsemane. And he went alone, like Jacob. He went off alone to do what? To pray. And to begin an intense wrestling match with the father. The, the text tells us that he sweat great drops of blood onto the ground in the midst of this agonizing struggle with the Father over his will for him. And at the end of that prayer, he, he submitted to the Father. Not my will, but yours be done. And he was arrested and taken away and through the course of that night and into the next day, he was tried, he was convicted, 
he was condemned and he was taken to the place of the cross and pinned to the cross and crucified. And while on the cross, his blood being shed for us, the wrestling match continued as the full weight of your sin and mine was put on him. And in the midst of that, the words that are so haunting from the cross, which tell us the intensity of the struggle that he had with the Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he took the full weight of our sin upon him, the Father turned his back. And the match ended. Jesus spoke the words, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. That's the reason why what I just described, what Jesus did for us, that's the reason why Jacob could wrestle with God. That's the reason why you and I can wrestle with God. What Jesus did for us in gaining the victory over sin and death laid the foundation for every wrestling match you and I will have with God and make it possible for us to tenaciously cling to him and plead with him to bless us and why he's so willing to do it. It's all because of Jesus. It's all because of what he did for us. And notice... And this is where this is all going. This matter of identity, 3227, he said to him, what is your name? And God knew who he was, of course. He's, he, he's getting Jacob to respond and actually to confess to something here. And he said, Jacob, I want you to understand that this isn't just his name. And that this isn't just him answering the question about his name as if we would, in the same way that we would, if someone asked us our name. Because of what Jacob meant, my apologies to anyone here who's named Jacob or who named their children Jacob, but the name means heel grabber or deceiver or conniver or, or manipulator. That's the meaning of the name. And Jacob knew it. It would be like, like getting the worst nickname possible on the schoolyard and that sticking and that being your name. That's what Jacob walked around with. What's your name? Deceiver. Nice to meet you. Hard to build trust with people. That's why his life was such a mess. God gets him to say it. What's your name? What are you about? What's your identity? What defines who you are? He's confessing here. He, he knows there's no sense hiding it because he knows who the man is. He's confessing his weakness, his inability. He's confessing his sin. The prerequisite for any of us who would want to be in a relationship with God. Before you can find your new identity in him, you have to confess the misplaced identity that you've had. You have to be willing and even eager. I'm ready to be done with this. 
to move on to something else, something greater, something that only God can give me. And that's what happens when Jacob wouldn't let go of God. He was finding his new identity in him. He, he was saying, I'm not doing it my way anymore. I'm not gonna be the deceiver. This is the day it ends. This is the day when I stop manipulating and I stop conniving and I'm gonna be straight up with God and with the people around me. Truth is now gonna be uh, the hallmark of my life. Integrity is gonna be what I'm about. I'm taking on the person of Jesus Christ and I'm gonna be like him. Verse 28, then he, that is God, said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God. Whether you realize it or not, the nation of Israel, that name that was first on Jacob, means strives with God. Wrestled with God. What a, what a, what an amazing improvement on identity, wouldn't you agree? From, from liar to wrestler with God. That's his new identity. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed, verse 28. And you know, when you and I came to faith in Christ, I'm speaking to those of you who are truly our Christ followers right now. When we became Christ followers, God changed our identity. We don't do the whole name change though, I wish in some respects we did. But we go from an identity that is sinner. That's the general term that applies to all of us. That's what we were. We go from the identity of sinner to the identity of saint. The specifics of the sinner part depend on what your identity was rooted in before. But the second part is universal for all of us. All who tenaciously hold on to God for the blessing. Jacob asked him, verse 29, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? Why do you think God's being so coy here? Because Jacob already knew who he was. He's saying to Jacob, you already know who I am. I'm Yahweh. I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac and now the God of Jacob. The text says there he, he blessed him, verse 30. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel saying, for I've seen God face to face and yet my life has been delivered. And in that moment, you can mark it down in your Bibles in that moment, Jacob becomes a true follower of Yahweh. This is his moment of salvation. He's saved right here. And from that moment on, he would, as you and I should, walk unashamedly with the limp that he gives you. In Christ, you will not be defined by your past, but you shouldn't forget it, and you know you can't forget it. It's just not going to define you any longer. It, it, it's part of your story, but it's not your identity. It's the part of the story that brought you to the new identity. We, we don't stop talking about the things that brought us to that crisis point that led us into the relationship with Christ in the first place. Do I want to go back to that period of time when I was 13, 14 years old and facing all the anxiety and all the uncertainty of it? Of course not. 
I don't want to go back there again. I don't want to be defined by that. But I'm so thankful that the crisis happened so that I would hear the gospel and be so open to it and wrestle it down with God and find my new identity in him. It's part of my story. Whatever painful thing you've gone through, whatever's in your past, whatever thing defined you before, you can thank God that it was used by him to bring you to the point where you would find your new identity in him. From that day on, Jacob walked with a limp. And something that verse 32 tells us is commemorated by Jews to this day. I like this whole idea of walking with a limp. Remembering your past, but not being defined by it. In fact, when we interview elder candidates and those that we would even want to have on staff, we'll ask them a question in the midst of interviews. Tell us how you walk with a limp. Tell us about a time in your life when you tried to take God to the mat, when you really wrestled it out with him. Have you ever had a significant crisis in your life where you came face to face with the truths of God's word? See, it matters to us that someone who would presume to lead God's people would have this kind of deeply personal encounter with God. And it helps us understand a little bit of where their identity is rooted. Because in leaders, we want to know that their identity is rooted firmly in Jesus Christ. Because the elders of the church don't just face their own crises. But they've stood up in order to bear the crises of all of us. You want to walk with a limp. You want to walk with Christ unashamedly and confidently with the limp, listen, that God gave you. Because he's the one who touches your hip. He's the one who puts it out of joint. He's the one who picked the fight in the first place. So have you been there? Have you wrestled something out with God? Have you come out on the other side gaining the blessing from him? Is your identity rooted firmly in here, in him? Because when you know who you are, you can handle anything that comes your way. Let's pray. Father, you, um, you are perfect in all of your ways. And God, thank you for making it possible for us to know who we are uh, in light of who you are. And God, I would pray for any in this room who at this point in their life on this very morning would say that though they've known about God, they haven't known him, haven't had that wrestling match with him, haven't struggled with him and haven't given their life to him. God, I would pray that today, this very moment as we're praying would be the moment where they cling to you that they hold on to you to receive that blessing that only you can give. 
And God, I, I would pray for any in the room who are already followers of Christ but may have forgotten this or may be continuing to struggle with their identity in him. And Father, that that would be clarified today from your word. God, that they would wrestle down anything that they need to wrestle down in these moments. Father, that they would find a blessing from you and they would know without question today that you care for them, you love them, you have only great things in store for them. So Father, thank you for all of the ways that you pour yourself into our lives. Thank you for putting your identity, the identity of your son, Jesus Christ, on us. We pray this in his strong name. Thanks so much for listening. We always love hearing about the work God's doing in our listeners. If God's been doing a work in you, send us an email at info at harvestberry.ca. And remember, you are loved.